Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 324. Uh, it is Sunday morning. The Titans-Ravens game is about to start very shortly. Uh, I'm excited for today. Uh, today is day one recap of Wildcard Weekend. Tomorrow we'll talk about the games from Sunday. This is about Saturday's games. We'll talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills, Taylor Heineke, the Rams. Uh, and then also we're going to talk about Deshaun Watson and what I would do if I was the Houston Texans owner, Cal McNair. And then we'll end the show with some Ask Zach questions. But first I want to say... I want to give a, an analogy, one that if you are a dedicated listener of the podcast, you might remember. Uh, I want you to imagine you're driving your car down the road, and you want to check your speedometer. You want to see how fast your car is going. And to do that, while you're driving your car, you had to log into a program, use a password. And oh yeah, by the way, the information may or may not come back to you instantaneously. It might have to be a little bit of a wait, some arbitrary amount of time before you figure out how fast your car is going. Which already sounds really stupid, but then imagine that in order to check your fuel level, you know, how much, or am I an empty, do I have half a tank left, am I, do I have a full tank? In order to check your fuel level, you had to log into a completely separate program. And then maybe you're afraid if your car overheating, you want to check your engine temperature. It's another password and another program. That sounds really stupid. Ridiculous. You wouldn't drive your car that way. So why would you run your business like that? I am proud to tell you that this episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. They will help you run your business more effectively by putting everything in one place on one dashboard. Now, I want to start with a very honest uh, statement. This product is not for everybody. Uh, this product is not for startups. It's not for small businesses. It's not for college kids who live in a dorm room. Uh, this product is for companies that bring in $1 million in annual revenue or more. You know, for example... My own company, Strong Opinion Sports, is way, 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 way too small to take advantage of NetSuite's capabilities. I, I make a fraction of a fraction of what is needed to work with NetSuite. Uh, but I do know that some CEOs or uh, you know people that run major sports franchises watch or listen to this podcast. So this is for you. If you're a CEO, listen up. What NetSuite will do help you do is it will make you... It'll make it easier for you to more effectively manage your business by putting everything in one place on one dashboard. So once your company matures, you will outgrow QuickBooks. QuickBooks has limitations. And you don't need to pay for multiple systems that give you information at arbitrary amounts of time that may or may not give you the information exactly when you need it instantaneously. And you can walk away from old, outdated programs and spreadsheets, skip all that nonsense. And if you upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle... You can have everything all in one place. Finances, e-commerce, inventory, supply chain, HR, and guess what? Again, you don't need to wait random arbitrary amounts of time to get information. It all comes instantaneously. NetSuite wants me to tell you that you, know, you can be one of you know, over 24,000 companies that work with NetSuite, but I already know. If you're a person who knows what NetSuite is and what they do, then I don't need to tell you that they are the best in the business at helping you run your business but they are. I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty clear. Everyone I've talked to makes sense. And in case you're still not sure, in case you're like, ah, I don't know about NetSuite, NetSuite can and they will prove they are a better service. Go to NetSuite.com opinion, NetSuite.com opinion, and you can get a free product tour. Let NetSuite show you why they and how 
they will benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash opinion. Schedule your free product tour. Once again, netsuite.com slash opinion. I think I, I think I'd said it enough times, the, uh, the, you know, the, the offer code thing. Uh, I want to jump into wildcard weekend. So let's talk about it. Wildcard weekend day one just happened. It was Saturday. Uh, I want to just go through every game, but I want to start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Washington football team. The Buccaneers won 31 to 23. And oh my gosh, it was a great game. It's so much fun. And I know a lot of people were, I got a lot of people anger at me when I said, I think it's going to be a close, fun, entertaining game. People were like, Zach, you're crazy. The two games that I thought were going to be close and interesting and hard to pick were the Rams Seahawks and Buccaneers Washington. I was right. And a lot of people were about to be calling me crazy. Uh, no, 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 no. This Washington football team was a really well-coached, good football team, and they fought hard the entire game. Uh, now, Tom Brady played very well. Tom Brady, the Buccaneers quarterback. It's hard to say Buccaneers. My dad and I were watching the game, and we kept saying the Patriots, which is, I know it's been a whole year now with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. I still want to say the, the New England Patriots because it's Tom Brady's team, and I just, I keep referring to them as TB in my notes because that's easier than trying to remember what team he plays for. Tom Brady was 22 for 40 passing at 381 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Tony Dungy had a great line. Tony Dungy broadcasting the game. Remember the former Indianapolis Colts head coach who won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. He was broadcasting the game, and he had a great line. He said, everybody who said Tom Brady couldn't throw the deep ball was just wrong. And for me, I was like, ah, I feel so good to hear that because if you listen to the show and you had for a while – Remember, I, I made a whole film analysis breaking down exactly how that was entirely false. Tom Brady's never had a problem. That The whole falling off a cliff, the decline thing, it wasn't true. Uh, you look at Cam Newton in New England. He had a terrible, terrible year. Why? Oh, because there's no weapons in New England. The, the football team around the quarterback there isn't able to make big plays, and there's no receivers there. That's why Tom Brady appeared to have lower numbers and was falling off a cliff. If you look at Tom Brady's physical ability, it's pretty clear he can still play at a high level. He needed help. He needed good players. And I know that he's so happy to have the weapons he has in Tampa Bay. And the Buccaneers have a real shot to win a Super Bowl. I know everybody, people push back on that all the time. Like, you're crazy. And I understand that the Buccaneers have had stretches of inconsistent poor play. But what has to be factored in is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on their best day are an incredibly hard football team to beat. They're a great football team. They have a, I guess the best way to put it is they have a really high ceiling where the best day for Tampa Bay, the best game they can put out is a lot better than other teams around the NFL. Like they're just way more capable than a team like Seattle or uh, this, the, even the LA Rams with a, a gimpy quarterback like Jared Goff. <laughs> Tampa Bay is highly, highly capable and they are very much a threat to win a Super Bowl this year. Don't forget that. It's really easy to write them off. I don't understand that whole desire to do that. I know they're a wild card team, but the Buccaneers are a very good football team, playing good football at the end of the year, and uh, I just I wouldn't hold their past against them. They're playing good football. Now, the story of the game, in my opinion, was Taylor Heineke, the man, this really cool quarterback, the, the backup for Washington who was starting the game because Alex Smith is hurt. And the minute I heard that Alex Smith wasn't playing – I went, oh, no. I literally went, I audibly said to my dad, oh, no. You know, this could be a blowout. This could be a terrible game because a backup quarterback against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, no way. And Taylor Heineke battled his tail off. It was so much fun. And actually, uh, watching Taylor Heineke run around the way he did and extend plays 
uh, escaping sacks. I think he actually did better than Alex Smith could have done. Taylor Heineke, uh, because of his mobility, ability to extend plays and throw the ball downfield, I mean, he did stuff I just don't know that Alex Smith would would have been able to do. He had that touchdown where he dove from the four-yard line, fully extended with the ball to the pylon. I'm like, ah, it's so much fun to watch this guy. He made great decisions. He was super accurate. And it was just such a joy to watch Taylor Heineke do as well as he did. Now, uh, here's what his numbers were in the game. I mean, here's what I thought was cool about Taylor Heineke. He made Tom Brady sweat. There were moments at the end of the game where you could see Tom Brady was going, this kid better not score. I mean, we were only up eight points. And this kid, because he he fought the entire game, keeping the reason why Washington was in the game against Tampa Bay was none other than Taylor Heineke making play after play after play. Uh, he was 26 for 44 passing at 306 yards, one touchdown, had an interception, but it got tipped off a defender's hands. I, I felt bad for that interception. It's like, ah, that's just not really anything you can do about it. He also had, ran for a touchdown. What's crazy is that he was going throw for throw with Tom Brady in only his second ever start in the NFL. And imagine that your second ever NFL start came in the playoffs against Tom Brady. Like, bam, that's crazy to me. And he not only did he do well, he showed up. He kept his team in the game. And this is a guy who was the XFL St. Louis Battlehawks backup quarterback last year. He played in the XFL and wasn't even a starter in the XFL, but he came to the NFL, showed out, played great. And I, oh man, I really loved it. Uh, I believe he earned himself a contract for next year, whether it's in Washington or somewhere else. If I'm Washington, I'm not letting the guy leave. I'm like, hey, we'll give you some money. Stay in our team. Like, (laughs) we want you here. Um, And it's kind of crazy because six weeks ago, Taylor Heineke was taking college classes at his alma mater, Old Dominion, finishing up a mathematics degree. Like, what? That's crazy to me. And also, another narrative here that is honest and true is that watching Taylor Heineke, frankly, shred the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it wasn't like the Buccaneers were bad. It was that Heineke was making throw after throw after throw into tight windows. Like, just really great throws and really great decisions. And I know that you can say, well, it makes the Buccaneers' defense look bad. I think, honestly, it just made everyone else go, wow, Heineke can play. And the reality is that what it really did here is made, it put Dwayne Haskins to shame. Dwayne Haskins got cut by the Washington football team earlier this year. He's a former first-round pick who played for them. And, you know, a second-year quarterback. Dwayne Haskins never once in Washington looked very prepared or very, like he was doing a lot of work off the field. This guy, Taylor Heineke, came in with a couple weeks' notice Learn the playbook. I think he already knew it from the Panthers. Remember, he played for Scott Turner, who's the offensive coordinator in Washington in Carolina. He knew the offense already. But my point is, he looked way more prepared than Dwayne Haskins ever looked. And that's not good. That a first-round quarterback got embarrassed by Taylor Heineke playing way better than he could. I just, man, I, I also got to say that Washington, did anybody see Chase Young, the rookie defensive end for Washington celebrating with Taylor Heineke. Like he had, when Taylor Heineke ran for a touchdown, you saw, you know, Chase Young runs up. He's putting his finger on the guy's back. Like this is my quarterback. And it just shows how desperate for a quarterback Washington is. They just want somebody to believe in somebody that they can trust will make plays and be good with the football. And man, I'll tell you, I don't know if I honestly, I couldn't tell you whether or not Taylor Heineke was a one hit wonder. Uh, You know, there are guys who occasionally have a great game and you just never hear from them again. Matt Flynn had an amazing game a couple years ago in the Week 17 game between the Packers and I think the Lions, I believe. Got a long contract in Seattle, then got beat up by Russell Wilson. The rest of the history of Matt Flynn is forever forgotten. But I will say that what we saw from Taylor Heineke, if he can ever do that again, 
that's legitimately good football. Like, this is not a, an example of a guy who got lucky a couple times, threw some screen passes, had a couple handoffs, and, you know, played very well. No. Taylor Heineke was making throw after throw after throw into tight windows, making great decisions. And uh, I don't know if he can do it again. I hope he can. I like Taylor Heineke. I, it, there's no guarantee he's going to be a great NFL quarterback from this point on. But what we saw on Saturday was, without a shadow of a doubt, really good high-level quarterback play. And, uh, oh, my God, it made me so happy. I love watching the guy play and do well. Cool story and a cool guy. Now, the Rams at the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle, uh, the Rams won 30-20. to 20. And the, So the Rams won. And I, I got a lot of hate for even giving the L.A. Rams a chance in this game. I didn't pick the Rams to win. I picked Seattle to win. Because it felt crazy to pick the Rams. Like, there's no way a backup quarterback and Russell Wilson, like, they're not going to lose to the Rams. And they did. They did. And I, I almost picked the Rams. I, you can go watch my predictions video. I was like, I was going back and forth. And I, literally, there was a couple of comments that said, you're an idiot. Like, the two easiest games are Washington losing and the Rams losing. And I go, ah, uh, well, uh, Washington competed their butts off. And the Rams won. So I, I don't, I clearly, I thought that people a little harsh at me when I made my prediction going, We'll see. This could go either way. And the story of the game was the Rams' defense. They are outstanding. The Rams' defense is phenomenal. Their secondary is really good. I mean, there were just moments where Russell Wilson's dropping back, and there's just nowhere to throw the football over and over again. The guy only had 11 completions on that day, and partly that's because the Rams' defense is just really, really good. Uh, now, there was a moment where Russell Wilson threw a pick six on a quick screen out wide. He catches the ball, throws the ball left on a quick screen, and, man, the corner for the Rams jumps it, takes it for a touchdown. That should never happen. It felt really bad for Russell Wilson. Uh, that's, it's just a, you're, the, the receivers got to block the defender there and not let them cut, undercut the ball and get a pick six. It felt really bad. Like, that, the broadcaster, Troy Aikman, kept saying, like, that's not a dangerous throw. That should never be a pick six. And he's right. It never should be. You never once throw a, pick, throw a, a quick screen thinking, like, this is a dangerous throw. Might get picked off. Not in a million years. And so feel bad for Russell Wilson there. Uh, Russ did have a really sweet touchdown where he escaped a sack. He was extending the play left, flipped his hip, you know, flipped his shoulders, threw the ball deep to DK Metcalf for a long touchdown. It was a beautiful throw and an amazing play. Uh, DK Metcalf had two touchdowns, but uh, I mean, I, in general, like I, I know DK had really good numbers on the day, but it still felt like I, it's, I really was shocked at how many yards. I think DK had like 96 yards when I looked back at the game. And part of that's because he had a really long touchdown, uh, but it didn't. Despite the fact that, hey, DK had, you know, a lot of yards and two touchdowns, it didn't feel like he was doing very well. It felt like Jalen Ramsey shut him down. I was actually shocked. I looked at the numbers after the game and went, wow, the numbers don't really reflect how I felt watching the game. Uh, it felt like DK Metcalf got shut down. He was very frustrated. That Rams defense is no joke. And if they play the Buccaneers next week, uh, that could be a, I don't think they will because they're the lowest seed. So they're going to play probably the Packers next week. That's an interesting matchup, Packers and Rams, because the Rams' defense just is really, really good. Now, the Rams' quarterback situation is a lot more questionable. Uh, John Wolford started the game for the Rams at quarterback. He's their backup quarterback. Remember, he played in the XFL as well. Uh, he got knocked in the head, got knocked out of the game very early on. So Jared Goff had to come in. Uh, he's got a busted thumb. He had surgery recently on his thumb. He came in. He did well enough to win. He had a touchdown. Uh, but I... I thought it was interesting, and I don't know how to say this the right way, so I'm going to do the best I can to communicate this to you guys. But if your quarterback is—we we saw Jared Goff clearly uh, was healthy enough to play when he needed to, right? If your quarterback is healthy enough to play, but you don't start him, I, 
in my opinion, that's a guy getting benched. And so the reality is the Rams do not appear to have a lot of confidence in Jared Goff. I, I know that, uh, you know, they started John Wolford because you know Jared Goff was hurt. But you think Tom Brady wouldn't play if he could? You, you think that Drew Brees wouldn't play? If he, like, it's less about Jared Goff not wanting to play and more about the Rams decided not to play Jared Goff. So there's something going on there behind the scenes with Jared Goff where the Rams clearly don't appear to believe in their quarterback. I, I would really be excited to see them replace Jared Goff this year. He's, it feels like he's plateaued and he's hit a ceiling and he's never really going to get better. He's kind of mediocre and mundane. I give him points for playing through an injury. Um, but I, again, I don't know how to say that the right way because he didn't get benched. He did get hurt, but he was hurt, but not badly enough that he couldn't play if he needed to. So why didn't he start the game anyway? Did Jared Goff get benched? I guess is my question. Cause again, Matt Ryan, Jared Goff, Drew Brees, like these quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, if Aaron Rodgers thumb is hurt, he's playing in the game. So somebody decided not to play Jared Goff, and it felt weird. The whole thing feels very weird to me. Now, again, the star of the game was the Rams' defense, and I want you to keep your eye on Brandon Staley. He's the Rams' defensive coordinator. He could become a head coach either this offseason or next offseason. He's a young guy. They call him like the Sean McVay of defenses. And I don't know that he's ready to be a head coach just yet. I personally, if I was hiring him, I'd want to wait another year. Um, But keep your eye on Brandon Staley. The coaching market's a very weird, fickle one right now, and so Brandon Staley could be a head coach next year in the NFL. The same way that, remember, uh, Zach Taylor was the Rams quarterback coach. He became the head coach in uh, Cincinnati because, well, guys just get elevated maybe a little bit before they're ready, and teams take a chance on a guy when they, you know, if Houston can't hire anybody else because nobody appears to want the Houston job, maybe the answer is Brandon Staley, a guy who's not going to get any other opportunities because it's a little bit too early. A team like Houston, who might not get any other coaching candidates, might make a move for Brandon Staley because they're desperate, and Brandon Staley's not going to get any other opportunity at this point early on in his career. Well, let's talk about the Colts and the Buffalo Bills. This is a really good game. It came down to the very end. Uh, the Bills won 27-24. And a lot of stuff I want to say here. First of all, it's the first Bills playoff game in 25 years. Like, oh, my gosh. I'm happy for Buffalo. Uh, they let fans in the game in Buffalo, which is the first time all year fans have been allowed in the stadium in Buffalo. And I it really kind of it felt like, hey, we know COVID's happening, but screw COVID. I'm not going to miss out on I hit my elbow on the table. I'm not going to miss out on this opportunity to go watch the Buffalo Bills play in a Super Bowl. Like, I'm just not I don't care. I'll die of COVID before I miss a Buffalo Bills playoff game. It's a bit hyperbolic. But my point is that I really. I can't say this. I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I, I appreciate the Buffalo said, hey, you know what? We're going to let people choose and we're going to open up the stadium to people that are diehard Buffalo Bills fans. And I think that's very cool because again, like you're not guaranteed a playoff game ever. And it's been 25 years. It would be really horrible to wa- allow a Bills playoff game to happen in Buffalo without fans at the game. I also got to say having fans at the game is a big thing. I want to re- briefly, I know I'm jumping around, but I want to revisit the Rams and Seattle Seahawks game. I hated watching the Seahawks game because it was there were so many moments where the crowd, the fake crowd noise was really, really loud above the broadcasters. Like Tom Rinaldi's trying to talk on the sideline, and you couldn't hear him because of the stupid fake crowd noise, which is even weirder because you know that the people on the sidelines, like Jared Goff, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, they don't hear fake crowd noise. Only people watching the game on TV hear the fake crowd noise. I hate it so much. I'd rather honestly hear the noise of people on the sideline or people at the line of scrimmage yelling. You know, DK Metcalf was going crazy at one point on the sideline. We couldn't hear the guy at all because of the fake crowd noise. And I, 
I, I, a friend of mine from high school plays for the LA Rams, and I, I'm going to wait till he retires to ask him this question, but I want to have him on the show someday to be like, hey, uh, what's it like to play a playoff game with an empty stadium? I know the NFL doesn't really want to answer that question just yet. There's a reason why you haven't heard anybody complaining about it. But I'm so desperate to know, like, what's it like to play an NFL game, albeit a meaningful playoff game, a meaningful NFL game, where there's nobody in the, in the crowd and you can hear everything. It sounds like an empty gymnasium or an empty gym. I'm like, I, I want to hear what that sounds like and what, what it's like to play in that uh, circumstance. And I just hated the fake crowd noise in the Seattle Seahawks-Rams game. Now back to Buffalo. The Bills won 24, 20, uh, 27-24. First Bills playoff game in 25 years. Screw COVID. They bring the fans into the stadium. I love that. Uh, Josh Allen was amazing. He made so many incredible throws along the sideline. We're seeing the evolution of Josh Allen. I feel like every time I watch the guy, I'm more and more impressed. And actually watching Josh Allen makes me really feel good about Justin Herbert because when you have a guy who's literally a big physical athlete, football's easier. You you watch Patrick Mahomes. Part of the way Patrick Mahomes navigates the pocket and he does stuff that looks easy is because he's literally bigger than everybody else. He's like an action figure playing with, uh, you ever play with Rescue Heroes as a kid? Like, Rescue Heroes were, like, a lot bigger action figures than, like, a lot of the other smaller ones. It's kind of like watching a Rescue Hero play with other smaller action figures where you're like, man, this guy's just bigger than everybody else. And I'll tell you what, Josh Allen just blows me away every time I watch the guy. And I know Rescue Heroes is a deep cut. Nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about. Um, But I just, I, I felt blown away. I'm like, man, Josh Allen is so easily escaping sacks and extending plays and throwing the ball downfield and making pinpoint throws into tight windows. I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's unbelievable. Uh, he had two of the three. Sorry, he had, he had all three of the Bills' touchdowns in the game. He had two passing, one rushing. And Josh Allen's the story of the game. Like, he played phenomenal, played great. Stephon Diggs had six catches for 128 yards and a touchdown. And here's why the Colts lost, in my opinion. I felt bad for the Colts a little bit because it's anytime a team season comes to an end and really, frankly, a really good football team comes to an end and go, oh, it's sad and heartbreaking, and it may or may not be Philip Rivers' last game ever in the NFL. But the Colts got stopped on a fourth and goal, and then they also missed a field goal where Rodrigo Blankenship kicked it up off the right upright, and it fell uh, for a missed field goal. So they missed a field goal, and also they got stopped on fourth and goal. Like The Colts had opportunities, and they didn't take advantage. And so this could be the end of Philip Rivers' career. I don't know. Uh, it feels like they could bring him back. Here are the here's the stat line for Philip Rivers from this year. If this is his final year, it's like the best final year ever, where he had 4,169 yards passing, 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. It does feel like Philip Rivers has got more good football in him. Whether that's in Indianapolis or not, we'll find out. Uh, I am curious what the Eagle, what the Colts are going to do moving forward. Um, I mean, I we could see they trade for Carson Wentz. We could see. I don't know what the Colts are going to do. Um, but I got to say this too. I love Frank Reich, the head coach in Indianapolis. It feels like he's going to be there for a long time. I'd be very surprised if he wasn't. If five years from now, Frank Reich is not in Indianapolis, I'd actually be shocked. Uh, he feels like a Pete Carroll or a uh, John Harbaugh in Baltimore. Like he's a guy who is clearly a good head coach who his players love him. He's very competent, plays coaches at a high level. And uh, I, I just, I think personally, Frank Reich is going to be there for a very, very long time. Now, one kind of fun final note about Frank Reich. He's the Colts head coach. He also used to be the Buffalo Bills backup quarterback, which is so cool to me. Uh, he backed up Jim Kelly. He actually played in a Super Bowl for the Buffalo Bills at one point. And it's just kind of cool. Like, he he coached against his former team 
in their first playoff game in 25 years. Like, the former Buffalo quarterback is coaching against Buffalo in the playoffs. Just a weird, fun thing to me. I enjoyed that, and uh, I like Frank Reich a lot. I don't know what the Colts are going to do at quarterback, but uh, I- I'll tell you what. I think I'm going to cry. If the Bills win a Super Bowl, I- I'm a guy who, uh, shamelessly, I cry very easily. I watched a Disney movie, Soul, the other day. Balled, and within the first four minutes, I was just bawling my eyes about this this you know teacher who wants to be a jazz musician just fighting for his dream. And so if the Buffalo Bills win a Super Bowl, I, I man, I, I personally, I'm going to lose it. It's going to be really exciting, really cool to see that city get a Super Bowl. Like, oh, man, I'd be so happy for Buffalo. And uh, we'll see. Man. I think the Bills are capable of winning a Super Bowl. We'll see what they can do moving forward. But uh, I'm excited for the future of Buffalo, whether they win a Super Bowl this year or not. Uh, it feels like they're a very good football team. It's going to be around for a long time. And, uh, again, the Buccaneers won. The Rams won, surprisingly, uh, which I, I, I wasn't shocked by, but a lot of people were like, ah, that's not going to be a close game. And the Bills won their first playoff game. And, really, they had the first playoff game in 25 years. They just happened to also win that game. Good for Buffalo, good for Tampa Bay, and good for the Rams. I'm excited for day two of the Wild Card Weekend. Uh, as I talk right now, the Rams and Titans are playing. Sorry, the Ravens and Titans are playing. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed my segment on day one of Wild Card Weekend. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Deshaun Watson, and we will talk about uh, Ask Zach. Well, sorry, we'll not talk about We'll do Ask Zach, which is where I answer questions from the audience, have a lot of fun there. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Let's now talk about the Houston Texans and their quarterback, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson had an amazing year. Uh, every time I watched the Houston Texans, I said the same exact thing. I said that that's an amazing quarterback with no support. He was making great decisions. He was highly accurate. Uh, we watched the team around him kind of crumble where there was no running game. There was uh, really disappointing receivers. There was uh, a bad offensive line. There was a horrible defense. And the team around Deshaun Watson was a mess. And I kept talking about how Deshaun Watson, in the midst of a crisis and a horrible mess, was playing very, very well. And just taking care of everything he could control and doing a good job. Meanwhile, another quarterback in Philadelphia, Carson Wentz, who had a mess around him, crumbled and fell apart. And he couldn't, you know, make good decisions. And he couldn't control everything he could control. And we saw Carson Wentz devolve and fall apart. And in the midst of a crisis and a mess, Deshaun Watson stayed exactly where he was and played very, very well and very good football. And the Texans went 4-12. and They had a horrible year. Horrible team. Horrible year. Yet... Deshaun Watson had MVP-level numbers. I'm not a huge numbers guy, but the numbers do support everything I've been saying all year. And uh, here's a little bit of what Deshaun Watson did this year. I'm going to share some statistics with you because I know that I can say, like, he made good decisions and he was great and this and that, but some people only listen to statistics. So here, for those people, he led the NFL in passing yards. He had 4,823 yards passing, 33 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. He was third in the NFL in completion percentage. He was number one in yards per pass attempt. He was number two in passer rating. And uh, those numbers back up what I've been saying about Deshaun Watson all year, which is that he's a really, really phenomenal quarterback on a horrendous, awful football team. And I just, again, like Deshaun Watson put up MVP level numbers during a 4-12 season. And nobody talks about it. He's not going to get a single MVP vote. And I just, first of all, I feel kind of bad for Deshaun Watson because he's in a terrible position. But also, I wondered, like, what's the lesson here? As we watch Deshaun Watson, 
he had a phenomenal year. What's the lesson, the takeaway from all this? And the takeaway for me is that the team around your superstar quarterback matters a ton. You need a good team. Like, I personally look at Patrick Mahomes a lot differently now than I used to. I've always been enamored and amazed. Like, oh my gosh, Patrick Mahomes is so good and so amazing. And uh, even this year, I really gained respect for Patrick Mahomes. I think he does some incredible stuff. But so does Deshaun Watson. And what's the difference between Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes? They might be, maybe maybe Patrick Mahomes is like slightly better. But the difference is Patrick Mahomes has help. He's got a great coach, great players around him. A great, I mean, just talent all around Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Meanwhile, Deshaun Watson's got nothing. And so I really, I kind of asked the question, what if Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson switched to teams? What would happen there if they traded positions? We might be talking about how Deshaun Watson is the greatest person we've ever seen. He's so amazing. He's winning Super Bowls. Meanwhile, we wouldn't see Again, think of how many times you've seen Patrick Mahomes in a commercial. Yeah, he's an amazing quarterback. But part of that is because he's got a great team around him. If Deshaun Watson were the quarterback at the Houston Texans, working with Andy Reid and making great decisions, playing at a high level, and doing it, throwing to the receivers he's got in Kansas City, Man, I, I think we'd be seeing Deshaun Watson in a lot of those State Farm commercials and this and that and ketchup and headphones and everything, right? So I, I just, again, my takeaway, the lesson from the 2020 season Deshaun Watson had is that you can have an amazing quarterback. You still need a good team around the guy. And Deshaun Watson's a, an amazing quarterback with nothing around him, no help. And so we like to give a lot of credit to the, the quarterback and all this and that, but more credit needs to be given to the receivers and the coach and an offensive line and the running back. Like other people need credit beyond the quarterback. And so uh, I just, I, again, I stand by like, you can have a great quarterback. That great quarterback is going to need a lot of help as well. That's a big lesson you can learn from Deshaun Watson in 2020. And um, right now there are a ton of problems in Houston with the Houston Texans. They're an awful team. They've got no first round pick. And they just hired a general manager that Deshaun Watson, their star quarterback, doesn't like. Bit of a problem. They hired Nick Casario from the Patriots organization. And I have no idea if Casario is good at his job or not. Like, Nick Casario might be an amazing general manager. He might not be. I'm not going to make a statement either way. He's unproven. But what I will say is this, is that anybody of any quality appears to avoid working in Houston. Uh, Really good head coaching candidates. For example, uh, Eric Bieniemy, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, declined to interview with Houston, the Houston Texans. And Matt Eberflus, the Colts defensive coordinator, said, ah, I'm good. I'm not going to interview with the Houston Texans. I don't want that job. So people that are really good at their job have said, you know what? I, I'm a quality employee. I don't want to work with the Houston Texans. So my question is, is that an example of if Nick Cassario is really that good, why didn't he have a better opportunity somewhere else? Hmm, it's all highly questionable to me. But here's why I really, really hate the Nick Casario hire. It's that you're doing the New England thing again. You already did this. You did the New England idea and the plan with Bill O'Brien, and it failed miserably. It was horrible. So I double down and go back to the well and hire another person from New England to do the whole New England nonsensical thing again. And I actually wonder if Cal McNair, the owner of the Houston Texans, got a little bit... Uh, you know, sold some snake oils and maybe a, a bamboozled a little bit where you tell the owner like, hey, you, you want what the New England Patriots have, right? You want to win Super Bowls. Well, guess what? I'm Nick Casario. I 
did good stuff in New England. We won a lot of games. We won Super Bowls. Don't you want that here in Houston? And it's the same pitch that everybody talks about. Like, oh, I can do what Bill Belichick has done. No, you can't. <laughs> Sorry, Nick Casario. You might be great. You're not Bill Belichick, right? And I, I'm so tired of watching people get hired from New England, getting all this, you know, Matt Patricia, Bill O'Brien, coach after coach and general manager, and personnel person after personnel person, getting all the credit for the work that reality Bill Belichick is doing. Bill Belichick is a general manager in, in New England. Bill Belichick's doing all the work, watching film and grading players and bringing in people like, I, I just hate watching other people benefit off the work of Bill Belichick and getting all this credit. Like, I just think it's, I, I honestly believe that Houston got hornswoggled a little bit and sold an idea that is faulty and not quite right. And so I just hate the hiring of Nick Casario, partially because Deshaun Watson doesn't like him. That's enough for me. But also because you already did the New England thing. You already tried to copy New England. It didn't work. Why are you doubling down and doing it again? Now, there's also this guy in Houston called Jack Easterby. He's left over from the Bill O'Brien era. Jack Easterby uh, is the former New England Patriots chaplain. And a chaplain is a religious leader that literally like will pray with players. And so... It's weird that that guy went from a religious leader helping, you know, pray with players to now he's the guy at the top of the Houston Texans front office. That makes no sense to me. I don't understand how, I don't mean to disparage religion at all, but I don't really know what praying with players has to do with running an NFL front office. I just, I think they're very separate, different things. And uh, maybe Jack Easterby is very motivating, but also the problem is people in Houston, Deshaun Watson, other Houston Texans players, they hate Jack Easterby. They don't want the guy. They don't like the guy. They don't want to work for him. And so you have the Houston Texans who have hired Nick Casario, who Deshaun Watson doesn't want to work with. And you kept Jack Easterby, another person that Deshaun Watson and other Houston Texans players don't want to work with. That's a huge problem to me. And I don't I don't understand why they're doing this. I don't know what Cal McNair, the owner of the Houston Texans, is doing. Um, you know, there's really this question going around. Why is Deshaun Watson so angry? And then what should Cal McNair, the owner of the Houston Texans, do? So number one, Deshaun Watson is partially super angry because Cal McNair, the owner of the Texans, said, hey, when we hire a new GM, when we hire a new coach, when we do, when we do all this stuff, we're going to listen to you, take your ideas for consideration, and we're going to work with you and collaborate with you behind the scenes in the process. Oh, yeah, and then they totally didn't do any of that. They ignored any of the suggestions Deshaun Watson had. They didn't listen to him. They lied to him. They told him one thing. They didn't follow through, and they didn't listen to Deshaun Watson at all. So I understand why Deshaun Watson is frustrated. So what should the Texans owner, Cal McNair, do? First of all, I think Cal McNair is a special kind of idiot. I, I really, I, I don't mean to berate the guy. It seems like he is the, the son of a very rich man. He inherited what he got. I don't know what, I don't know what Cal, I, I, I have no idea anything about Cal McNair. I'm speaking of a place of ignorance, but I don't, my, my, my limited understanding of Cal McNair is he inherited what he got from his dad, Bob McNair. I don't really, I don't have a lot of respect for that. I'm like, okay, like you, you inherited stuff. You didn't really earn it. Okay. And clearly what he's doing running the Houston Texans is terrible. They went four and 12 this year. Their quarterback hates them. I don't know how this is successful. And here's what Cal McNair said at a press conference the other day when he introduced Nick Casario as a new general manager of the Houston Texans. He said, um, he said this, he said, First of all, Cal McNair told fans that they just needed to trust him. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. 
What? Why why should anybody trust the the owner of the Houston Texans, Cal McNair? Your team's four and twelve. You're terrible. You 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 made mistake after mistake after mistake. Why should any Houston Texans fan trust you? I have no idea why. I wouldn't if I was a Texans fan. That's a terrible thing to say. Number two, he then described why he likes Nick Casario. He said, quote, he said he's intelligent, hardworking, and believes in doing things the right way. Uh, what? You guys realize that's the qualifications of a McDonald's employee, right? Like, if you go to McDonald's and you're not smart, you're not hardworking, you do things the wrong way, you get fired at McDonald's! That's no reason to hire a guy to be your NFL general manager. What are you talking about? It's a nonsensical statement, which I get. He didn't write it. He probably is reading off a teleprompter. Like, whatever. But it's, it's like, oh, what? That's your reasoning? Trust me. And then a bunch of nonsense that is the same speech you would give from a McDonald's employee. Okay. Cal McNair, owner of the year. Oh, everybody hates him already. I don't know. I, I don't understand. Um, here's what I would do if I was Cal McNair. If I was... I don't want to be Cal McNair. He looks ugly, and that's a mean thing. But he's—I don't—I don't want to be Cal McNair. I don't. But if I was the owner of the Houston Texans, I would fire Jack Easterby. I would fire Nick Casario, and I would do everything I possibly could to repair the relationship with Deshaun Watson. Everything I could. Do not dare let Deshaun Watson leave your organization. If you do, you're an idiot. And I understand. Like, first of all. It's come to the point where it's either Deshaun Watson, pick him, or Casario and Jack Easterby. You're not going to get both. Either pick the two guys in your front office or pick the quarterback. I personally would pick the quarterback because Deshaun Watson is a proven success. He's done very well. He's got he's got literally MVP-level numbers. How could you not pick the proven success Deshaun Watson over, well, if I have to choose, well, let's talk about Jack Easterby. He's left over from Bill O'Brien. He helped the Houston Texans go 4-12. and 12. He failed. He's a failure. And Nick Casario might be good at his job, but he's unproven. I have no idea. How about you pick the proven success to Sean Watson over the two front office employees who one is a failure and the other is an unknown? I don't understand how you could pick. If you have to, if you have to choose the two front office employees or Deshaun Watson, your starting quarterback, pick Deshaun Watson. You're never going to get another Deshaun Watson in your lifetime. You can try. You can trade for Tua from the Dolphins. It's not going to happen. And I've heard rumors of a Deshaun Watson trade. In my opinion, Deshaun Watson is untradeable. You couldn't pay me to. You, I'd do. There's nothing I would do to get rid of Deshaun Watson. I, I'd do everything I could to make the guy like me, to want to work with me, and see, build around my quarterback, Deshaun Watson. I don't know how you could have a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's amazing, and then not support the guy, treat him like crap, and make him unhappy. Like, you're an idiot. You're terrible at managing relationships if you couldn't keep Deshaun Watson happy. And you, you made him want to leave your organization. Nick Casario has a six-year, $30 million contract. By my math, six times five is 30. So he's makes, he makes $5 million a year. You're going to pick an employee that makes $5 million a year. You're gonna, if, you, if you fire Nick Casario right now, you're still going to probably have to pay his contract. But it's, Nick Casario makes less in six years than Deshaun Watson's going to make next year. In one year! You're paying Deshaun Watson $40 million a year. You're going to pick the other guy who makes five, who is hated by many, many people, who's unproven? I don't understand that. I would choose the most valuable employee of my franchise, Deshaun Watson, over Nick Casario in a heartbeat. I don't, I, I don't understand. There's a power struggle going on. It's very weird to me. The only trade that makes any sense to me is trading Deshaun Watson to the Miami Dolphins and getting Tua Tungvaloa 
and the two first-round picks the Miami Dolphins have at minimum, I would want even more than that. But if you give me Tua, the number three overall pick and the number 18 overall pick, fine, fine. But even then, let, let's be very honest. I, I love Tua a lot. Tua is one of my favorite. I, I literally, the only NFL jersey I own is Tua Tungvaloa's jersey. I love Tua. Deshaun Watson is way, 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 way better than Tua. You're never going to get another Deshaun Watson. I would take Deshaun Watson over Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, almost any young quarterback other than like the only guy that's even comparable to Deshaun Watson is Josh Allen, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. Like there's only a couple guys in the NFL that are even comparable to Deshaun Watson that aren't worth trading away to get Deshaun Watson. I don't understand how you could possibly have Deshaun Watson on with your organization and then trade him away. You're going to look like an idiot. Uh, you're going to watch Deshaun Watson go to the Miami Dolphins and win a couple Super Bowls and go, oh, yeah, that's a guy we got rid of because uh, we, we couldn't keep him happy. We, we kept a guy, Jack Easterby, who used to be a chaplain of the Patriots to run our fr- front office instead of this amazing quarterback. How are you going to justify it? You can't. Even if two is good, even if, even if you get Panay Sewell and let's say you get, um, what's that really good tight end from Florida? You, you get, uh, I'm blanking on his name. You get another a great tight end and you get a great left tackle and a quarterback. It's still not enough, in my opinion. I just, I don't understand how you can possibly consider trading away Deshaun Watson. But I'll tell you, if I'm Miami, and I'm, I'm here and give up two first-round picks and two for Deshaun Watson, oh, in a heartbeat, Miami's going to win a Super Bowl next year. Like that, they suddenly get an amazing quarterback for a pretty low price of two first-round picks and a rookie quarterback. Okay, do that trade. I dare you. I dare you, Houston Texans. Cal McNair. Trade away your star quarterback. I, I, oh man, I'm fired up. It's crazy to me. Now, I've seen some people call Deshaun Watson a bad leader for the way he's handled this scenario. Nonsense to me. That's really stupid. Number one, have you ever watched Deshaun Watson ever? Uh, He's a great leader. I I don't know how you can possibly look at anything Deshaun Watson's ever done and say he's not a great leader. People love him. He's a great leader at Clemson. He won national championships at Clemson. I, I don't know how you can't support the guy. And he said he wants out, but that's not bad. I, I don't. We got a couple things to unpack here. Number one, where does Deshaun Watson's loyalty lie? Number one, Deshaun Watson needs to be loyal to himself and his family over the Houston Texans organization. Big employers do this all the time where they try to make their workers believe that the company is more important than the worker's family. Or themselves. I'm sorry, Deshaun Watson needs to worry about his family and himself before the Houston Texans. He doesn't owe them anything. Uh, they're a terrible organization who's done nothing to support him at all for years. Look at the offensive line Deshaun Watson's had for years now. It's it's embarrassing. So Deshaun Watson needs to look out for himself. But also, Deshaun Watson saying he wants out and pushing back against the organization. How does that make him a bad leader? What is a leader? In my opinion, a good leader is someone who's not afraid to push back against an organization that's faulty or nonsense or bad structure. Deshaun Watson is not afraid to go out on a limb and say, I don't want to be here. This isn't good for me. What we're doing isn't working. It's not good. That's actually, in my opinion, good leadership. To call out a bad owner, to call out the bad stuff going on in your organization, the only way the Houston Texans are going to get better is if they fix their problems. And in order to fix their problems, they have to become aware of their problems. Don't you understand? The first step in solving a problem is pointing out the problem. And so I just, I don't agree. Anybody saying Deshaun Watson's not a good leader, I completely 1000% disagree with you. I think you're wrong. I think you're completely wrong. I think Deshaun Watson speaking up 
not being afraid to be different, saying, hey, this isn't working. This isn't good. I don't want to be here if you're going to do this. That's actually being a good leader. It helps all of Deshaun Watson's teammates if he says, hey, uh, I want to win games. I want to not work for this idiot. I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, that's the right thing to do here. Everybody's avoiding Houston. High-level coaches, you know, uh, people that are Matt Eberflus and um, Eric Bieniemy, top coaching candidates that could be the Houston Texans head coach have said, we're not going to interview with Houston because we don't want that job. Clearly, there are things very, very wrong in Houston. Part of that is because they have problems with the quarterback. Part of that is because the owner's an idiot and they feel they hired a bad. And then has anybody heard from Deshaun, for, for, excuse me, from J.J. Watt recently? J.J. Watt, first of all, called out the Houston Texans for their lack of professionalism. Then also, as Deshaun Watson was walking off the field for the final time this year, J.J. Watt put his arm around Deshaun Watson and apologized to Deshaun for wasting one of his good years. I I don't know how anybody can side with Houston rather than Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's right here. He's not a bad leader for calling out the problems in the organization. Again, I, I repeat... In my opinion, good leadership is someone who's willing to call out bad problems with an organization, to call out nonsense, to fight back and push back against nonsense. So I I don't know how you can call Deshaun Watson a bad leader. And if J.J. Watt respects Deshaun Watson, clearly he's probably doing something right. All right, guys, that's all I have for uh, this segment. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about – I keep saying talk about. We're going to do Ask Zach. We're going to answer some questions from the audience My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Let's dive in. It's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. It's where I get to answer questions from the audience. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Um, But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. And if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show, but I I read as many as I possibly can. And my only guarantee, the thing I do guarantee to do, I look at every single submission, every single question, every message on Patreon with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple questions to read every show, but I try to interact as much as I can on Patreon and look at everything sent to me with my eyeballs. Uh, I want to start. The first question of the day comes from Grant. I like Grant's question. It says, hey, Zach, if you had to choose which defensive scheme to run, would you prefer a 4-3 a 3-4, or a 3-3-5. I personally like a 4-3, the way defensive coordinator Jack DeRio perfected it in Washington. Hail to the riverboat, Grant. So, Grant, what I would do, I like a 3-4 defense, meaning you have uh, three down linemen and four linebackers. Uh, In my opinion, it's easier to mix up pressure when you have three down linemen and then two edge rushers and two in the middle because you can either, is the pressure coming from the right linebacker on the edge or the left edge? Or maybe you mix in a middle linebacker blitz. It's a lot easier to bring a four-man pressure consistently with a 3-4 defense because there's less. If you have four down linemen, it's pretty clear. Like, these four down linemen are coming after the quarterback every single time. Whereas if you have three down linemen, meaning like you have three linemen with their hands in the ground, you know, in, in a stance, and then four guys standing up, any one of those other four guys could be coming. And it's a lot more difficult to prepare for a blitz or prepare for pressure when you have a 3-4 defense you're playing against. Plus, also, I think it's, in my opinion, easier to find body types that are linebackers rather than amazing, great defensive linemen. I think it's a lot more small. If you're in high school or college, there's just a lot more smaller dudes that can play linebacker running around than 
gigantic lineman. Uh, so I, I think you know finding a, an edge is a lot easier in my opinion. And it's in the NFL, it's a lot different because you need much more amazing athletes. But I, I think if you're in college or high school, finding an edge rusher. I mean, often like an edge linebacker could be. We had we had receivers playing edge linebacker, who just really big, you know, tight end slash receiver guys. There's a lot of them out there who are good athletes who can run well. And um, I also like the fact that with a three four defense, you can have. You know, if you need to only bring three-man pressure and drop a lot of people into coverage, you know which three are coming, and you can drop everybody into coverage. And I just I prefer personally a 3-4 defense. If I was a high school coach or a college coach, I would run a 3-4 defense in a heartbeat. And uh, as a quarterback, I think it's harder to prepare against a defense with only three down linemen and a lot more people standing up walking around because you never know. Is the right edge rushing? Is the left edge rushing? Are they both coming? Pressure is harder to prepare for against a 3-4 defense. Dominic writes in, says, hey, Zach, let the coaching carousel begin. If Eric Bieniemy leaves the Chiefs, I think the perfect spot is the Chargers. They have some cap room and a lot of talent on the roster, including a great future quarterback. The only holdback is he is in the same division as his former team. Just wondering about your thoughts on this. Thank you. Love your content from Dominic. So, Dominic, there are four, sorry, there are six NFL teams right now. Six, <laughs> I held up seven fingers. I held up four, then seven. So six fingers up. There are six NFL teams right now that need to hire a head coach. You have the Jets, the Chargers, the Texans in Houston, the Jaguars, the Falcons, and the Lions. And, I mean, really just ask yourself, which team is the best team? The LA Chargers are the best roster of all the teams available that need a head coach. And also, which team has the best young quarterback? Which quarterback would I most want to work with? Justin Herbert. So, I my reservation is, yeah, I don't want to play against my former team and going from Kansas City to LA, you're a division rival. That seems like a tough move. But in the end of the day, you can't worry about another team when you make your choice. You have to say, which team is the best place for me to be successful? And I think, honestly, the LA Chargers are a great opportunity for whatever coach wants to be there. Great receiver, some good talent on defense, a great young quarterback. If you're a quarterback coach or a quarterback guy, oh my goodness, who wouldn't want to work with Justin Herbert? So um, I, I would pick the best team. I think LA is the best team. And, I mean, look at the Falcons. Are they going to keep that Ryan? The Jets have a Sam Darnold question. The Houston Texans may not have Deshaun Watson. Like, the Chargers, you got a rookie quarterback, uh, Trevor Lawrence, probably. And I still think that Justin Herbert's better than Trevor Lawrence. Like, I would take him. He's a better runner. He can move better. I, If I'm a head coach, I would love to work with Justin Herbert. And especially, not only is it Justin Herbert, it's also a really talented roster in L.A., so... Um, I think personally, Eric Bieniemy, the team he should go to is LA Chargers. We'll see where he really goes, but uh, I'd be shocked if he didn't go to LA to work with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Uh, James writes in, says, are you more of a dog or cat kind of guy? James, I am a cat guy. I, uh, we have two cats at home. We have uh, a cat named Tucker. He's a, like a red tabby, orange tabby, really. And then we have a little cat that's black and white, looks like an Oreo kind of, and we call him Mac. He's Tiny Mac right now. When he grows up, he'll be Big Mac someday, I hope. He's not growing. It's been like eight months. He's still like kitten size. But um, I think cats are way easier. I think that, you know, dealing with cat poop in a litter box is a lot more simple than letting, you know, a lot of dogs, you know, you have to let the dog out. Then you got to scoop it out of your yard because dog poop is huge. And if you walk your dog, you got to bring the thing to pick it up. And I personally think a cat box is way more simple than trying to manage dog poop. Um, Cats clean themselves. You don't need to give them a bath. 
And I think cats are less messy. They're less destructive. I know a lot of people say, cats are terrible. They suck. Well, no, cats are like human beings or dogs. If you raise your cat right, they're going to be a great cat. We, I, we have two great cats that we raised as kittens. We even have a cat. Our cat, Tiny Mac, was... Um, we adopted him from a shelter. He was abused as a kitten. Like, clearly, like, he, he's very skittish. He's very afraid. If you raise your fists like this, even if you're, like, excited about football or if you yell, like, yeah, when you're watching a football game, he gets really scared and flinches away because he's a, he's a scaredy cat. But the reason for that is because he was abused and hit as a little kitten. We, we got him from a bad situation, and now he's with us. And he used to hide. He used to be really scared and skittish. And Tiny Mac is not the same cat he was when we first adopted him. We, he, we've taught him, and he's grown up with us. And so he's really comfortable. He comes and cuddles now. He's not afraid as much. Uh, he's growing a lot as a cat. And so my point is that anybody who says, you know, cats are suck and cats are bad, and what if you get a bad cat? You only get a bad cat if you're a bad owner. If you're attentive and you treat your cat how to you know, behave, and cats do learn. They're very smart. I think cats are much smarter than dogs. Uh, I think you can teach a cat to be great, and we have two great cats, and I've had cats my whole life, and every cat I've ever had has been a really good, well-behaved cat because I think if you're a good owner takes care of your cat and teaches your cat how to behave, cats are awesome. So I think cats are easier. Cats are more practical. They're smaller for cuddling. Um, I'd like a dog someday. I think my dream someday is to have a farm in Hawaii, and then I'm getting a dog absolutely in Hawaii. It's going to be an outdoor-only dog, and I would love to have my dog take my dog to the beach and go swimming with my dog and the whole shebang. It seems really fun. But for now, I'm a cat person. And until I can, 20 years from now, get a farm in Hawaii, like I'm not having a dog. So, um, yeah, I'm a cat person through and through. Uh, Jorge writes and says, hey, Zach, I'm really curious if you've seen Tom Segura's injury or the video of it. But if you have, what are your thoughts on it? So, Jorge, oh, my gosh, I saw the video of Tom Segura. It's hilarious. I felt bad for him. Uh, it's a great video. You should go, if you haven't seen the video, look up Tom Segura injury dunking. Oh my god, it's it's so fun. He goes to dunk. He like takes a step. He plants his foot to dunk. His knee gives out. I think he blew his ACL out actually. Um, so he blows out his knee trying to jump for the dunk. He falls and slips. As he lands, his arm is behind him on his back, and he lands on his elbow and he shredded his elbow. So it's, he's laying on the ground, blown out knee, an arm hanging all limp behind him, and you're like, oh, and it's crazy, like. You go to dunk, and you blow your knee and your elbow in one move. It's horrible. And, uh, I mean, this is a joke, but if you ever needed help realizing he's old and fat, man, it's there. Like, it's pretty clear. Hey, Tom, no more dunking. If I'm his wife, I'd just make fun of him forever. And the funny thing is, actually, that injury is going to just help Tom Segura's career forever. He's got great stories and attention and publicity. And, oh, my gosh, he's so lucky. I know it's funny. Like, he got horribly injured, but he's actually really lucky because it's going to help his career as a comedian. Uh, by the way, I love Tom Segura. He's got a podcast called Your Mom's Health with his wife, Christina. Uh, it's great. Kind of reminds me, I have a podcast with my girlfriend called Flawed Humans, which is we we talk about life. I think we it's pretty similar to Your Mom's House, actually. Probably less funny, more thoughtful. But um, either way, Tom Segura, the injury was hilarious and painful to watch. Uh, it brought me and my girlfriend Liz a lot of joy watching it the other day in bed. And um, I feel bad for Tom. I'm like, oh, it's horrible to get injured that way. Trying to jump for a dunk and you blow out your knee and your elbow in one move. Caleb Bryson says, Hey, Zach, I'm excited for the NFL playoffs and with football comes food. Which do you think are underrated and overrated foods to have during game day? Uh, so, Caleb, I take notes when I watch football. Uh, so I don't, I don't like using finger foods. In fact, even finger foods I actually eat with my hand. There was a funny video of me the other day eating popcorn with a spoon because I don't like... If I'm taking notes and using a pen and... Using you know pen and pencil, 
or pen and paper. Like I don't, I don't want to really touch my hands, get my hand, you know, my pencil, my notes all greasy. So, uh, like I eat pizza with a fork and a knife, and I usually do that. Now, if I'm in New York on the subway, of course I'm using my hands. But if I'm watching football, which 90% of my life I feel like I am, uh, I have pizza with a fork and a knife because it's easier to eat with a, a less messy way. You know, a knife and you cut it. And I think pizza is amazing. I think it's a great game day food. Uh, spaghetti, chili, and cheese. I, I'm telling you, spaghetti, gnarly chili, and ground up shredded cheese on top. Like, you know, just medium cheddar cheese from Tillamook. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. If you haven't tried it, I guarantee go try it. It's like a knockoff version of Skyline Chili from Cincinnati. It's so good. Um, I think boneless wings are great. You can eat that with a fork if you want. You you fork the, the, the wing and you dip it in some ranch and you eat it or whatever your sauce is of choice. I think overrated foods, uh, there's not a lot of them. I think food's amazing. I love food. Um, hard to find a food I won't enjoy. Uh, I, I like guacamole a lot. Here's why guacamole is a little bit overrated. Is I love it. It tastes good. It just never stays fresh. Unless I'm putting it in a burrito or eating it immediately, it's not good. Like, you, you put it on your – I've been to Super Bowl parties where you put it on the table, and by the end of the Super Bowl, it's brown and ugly, and you just can't let it sit out very long because it turns brown so quickly. And you have to, like, close your eyes to eat brown guacamole. I think it's still probably good. I think it's just oxidized a little bit, so the color's different. It probably still is fine to eat, but I, I struggle with brown guacamole. I have to, like, close my – yeah, it just doesn't work for me, so – um, I think guacamole might be a little bit overrated. I think it's great. I think it's great, but you have to eat it the minute you get it. You can't wait. And so if you're going to wait on guacamole, just don't get it at all. And uh, for the most part, though, I think that's just great food everywhere. I mean, hot dogs, burgers, um, you know, I, I think, I think spaghetti, chili and cheese is an underrated food. Nobody talks about. Uh, I think that it's, it's a great game day food. It's also a great food. Uh, just for breakfast. It's really fueling. Like we eat breakfast completely backwards in America where, uh, in my opinion, breakfast should be fuel for your day rather than like sugary sweet stuff like yogurt or cereal. So like I eat cereal for dessert a lot. I don't really have sugar for breakfast. Um, pizza, though. Pizza is my go to. If, if I'm having my dad over for, over for a game, it's either pizza or spaghetti, chili and cheese and pizza, knife and a fork. It's a phenomenal time. Uh, I, I like a good beer. My favorite beer right now is uh, Longboard IPA by Kona Brewing from Hawaii. I love it. It's phenomenal. So, uh, yeah, those are some some snacks. I think I'm going to call it. I got some more questions, but we got to realize we got a show tomorrow. We got a show on Tuesday. So coming up, we have, I'm going to go watch the Texans, uh, the Titans Ravens game. I'm going to go watch the, uh, the Bears and Saints game tonight. We have the Steelers Browns. We'll talk about that tomorrow in a day two recap of wildcard week. And then on Monday, Monday night, we're going to also have uh, the national championship. So a lot of stuff's up ahead. I'm going to save some of my questions for, I got a lot of them from you guys, but I'm going to save them for tomorrow's episode and Tuesday's episode. Keep your eyes peeled for the next episode. I love you. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Bam, we are done.